Interested in energetics, intention, alignment, integrity, and ethics? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Sacred Leadership Podcast. This space is for you to gain inspiration, wisdom, and knowledge from exceptional leaders to support you in your leadership journey. I'm your host, Amber Gordon, trained therapist and intention and alignment coach here to ask all the deep questions to get the raw truths. Settle in, take a breath, set your intention for what you're open to receiving from this episode, because it is time to drop in. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to one of my personal inspirations, Daniel Massey, who is a licensed psychotherapist turned master shadow work practitioner and is the country's leading expert on shadow work. She has created a multitude of healing courses that have helped thousands of students heal their shadows and alter their lives and embrace their identity as shadow seekers. Danielle is also a best-selling author with her book, Shadow Work, business mentor, owner of the Wellness Collective in Philadelphia, PA, and the host of an annual self-care conference, Selfish Philly. Thank you so much for being open to having a conversation with me today, Danielle. This is a really special conversation for me because you have really touched my life personally. Um, You've helped me unlock a version of myself that's actually able to host this podcast and put it out into the world. I don't think this is something I ever would have done if I had not met you and gone through your programs. So it feels like a very full circle moment for me. Kind of hit me right in the field. (laughs) (laughs) Right off the bat, Danielle. You know how I do. You know how I do. Um, The other thing that's really important to me is that I feel like you, Danielle, are the real deal. Um, You're a true leader who places integrity and ethics above metrics and money. And that is something that is really important to me, especially in the landscape of the industry that we work in today. Um, as I said, I personally went through both of Danielle's programs and I will be starting her year long certification program in the spring, the shadow seeker certification course. Um, and so I'm really grateful for the opportunity to be able to introduce Danielle for those of you who don't know her yet. Um, and also maybe help those of you who do know her, get to know her a little bit better. So I know you have so much to share, but if you could start us out with a little bit of foundational knowledge about what the hell shadow work actually is, like who uses it, what do you use it for? Um, and then maybe tie that into your journey and kind of like where you were and where you're at now. Yeah, I feel like that's what I get asked the most on TikTok. On TikTok, people have this unique ability to dive into subjects that they wouldn't have had the opportunity to see before, hear about, know about. So shadow work is kind of having a, a moment on social media, which is amazing. But everyone asks the same question, like, what the hell is it? What does it even look like? And the interesting thing for me is the answer is almost always wrong when people talk (laughs) about it. Because I think it's like, uh, it's like a game of telephone, right? Like you hear about shadow work, and then you kind of watch like a bunch of videos where people are journaling, and you're like, okay, it's journaling. And then you make your own video, and you're like, we're gonna do shadow work, pull out your journals. And I'm like, that, that's not it. That's, that's baby steps towards what shadow work is. So let's actually talk about the history of it and where it comes from and how it's used. Now, shadow work is something that's been around for thousands of years because there's a lot of research showing that cultures like the ancient Egyptians, um, shamans, they use this uh, theta brainwave state, which is when you're very calm and very relaxed, to drop down into the unconscious mind and heal. But it wasn't until Carl Jung, one of the fathers of our modern psychiatry, who actually termed shadow, he came up with the name for it. And when he came up with the name for it, he was referring to the unconscious mind. Shadow is the unconscious. Mm -hmm. 
So when we're doing shadow work, what we're doing is we're using that theta brainwave state to drop down into the unconscious mind, because that's really the only time that you can access it. And when we access it, we want to bring up the things that have been repressed and buried into the unconscious to the surface to heal them. It sounds harder than it actually is because unconscious stuff, it's hidden, it's buried there, it's been there for most of your life. And a lot of the stuff that's there is heavy. It's the traumas, it's the worst moments you've ever had. And they get blacked out because your body can't necessarily handle the weight of all of that energetic crap that you're holding on to. If we remembered all of our traumas and we sat with them every single day, we'd all be a mess. A lot of us would be suicidal. We wouldn't be able to function. So there's an evolutionary piece to it. It makes sense for the brain to find a way to push this out of the way. But what happens is the body, the energy, the emotions, they haven't pushed it out of the way. It's still there. It's still present. This is how we see ourselves getting triggered by stuff. This is when we find that we have a lot of autoimmune illnesses Mm -hmm. or we just feel blocked or stuck about things that we don't understand how to push past. So with shadow work, we can go back to those moments. We can really pull them up from the unconscious and we can rewire how they exist within our mind, body, energy, and emotions for good. That is the basis for this beautiful practice. And everything that comes above it, like the journaling stuff, it's great. It's wonderful, but it's subconscious, not unconscious. And the major difference for anybody listening to this who's like, I don't know half of what she just said. (laughs) And we have three layers to our psyche, three layers to our consciousness. We have the conscious mind, which is the part of you that knows that they're listening to this right now and knows whatever else, like what you ate for breakfast this morning or who you spoke to on the phone earlier today. Those are all conscious thoughts. Then we have the subconscious. So while you're listening to this podcast, you might be driving in the car and like half paying attention. Not really. And you're going to wake up at your destination and go, I don't really remember the drive. That happens to us all the time. We do it anytime we go somewhere repeatedly. That's a subconscious behavior. You don't realize you're doing it. It's picking up your phone and scrolling and not realizing how deep you are and two hours goes by. And it goes fast because you're not fully consciously present in those moments. So that's the subconscious. And that is where in our work as therapists, we're usually dealing with the subconscious because people come in talking about their behaviors, the things that they're triggered by. And we can't really get into that unconscious state during a typical therapy session. So what we're going to do is (laughs) we're going to deal with the subconscious. We're going to bring up as much as we know that we can get to. We're going to dig as far down as we can go and help you with that stuff. But the thing that I always hated about therapy and why I ultimately ended up leaving and switching my career into shadow work is that it doesn't get to the root. The unconscious mind is the root of all of your stuff. Everything that you hate about yourself, the things that you've buried, the moments that have defined who you are and your character, your personality, and how you show up in the world are stored within your unconscious. And until we go there, we can't fix it. So that's my spiel about shadow work. It's a lot boiled down into a little, so we can go more into the depths of it. But I think that's a good framework for us to kind of build from when we're talking about the shadow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's one of those things where it, it's great, you know, that it's having, it's 
its moment right now. Um, I actually remember years ago uh, when I was in graduate school, I specialized in sex therapy my, my first time around. And that was also the time where, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey was like, you know, oh, right. And I remember I would like have people there that they would be like, I'm, I'm interested in bondage. And I'm like, oh, okay, like, great. Um, let's explore that a little bit. And they're like, yeah, I want to be spanked. And I'm like, oh, okay. So you're interested in impact play. And they're like, no, 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 bondage. And I'm like, okay, like bondage is actually like when somebody gets like tied up and they're like, yeah, wait, no. what? You know, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and so then we have to go into actually talking about like power exchange and BDSM and, you know, relationship dynamics and consent and like all these things that like, again, people, people expanded their awareness, but like, was it necessarily accurate? Was it necessarily ethical? Was it necessarily safe? Right. Um, no, not really. But again, I think that's where it's great for us to be able to ask these questions. So Shadowworks having its moment now, but you've been doing this a hot minute. So how did you find it? This is, I love this question. I feel like it's always floated around in my awareness, right? Like I'm sure that you, when you were going through undergrad psychology, you learn about Carl Jung and you learn about his contributions, things like the shadow, the archetypes. We all go through it. We learn about Freud and then we graduate and it kind of just goes to the wayside. Then we go on to get our master's degree and there he is again, Carl Jung, the shadow. We're learning it again. And then it goes to the wayside when you're done, because traditionally, most therapists aren't necessarily using shadow work as a modality. Some do, most don't. They're using the things that people call and want to come in for, which is things like CBT. Mm-hmm. And because everybody has heard of cognitive behavioral therapy, I find that most people have no idea what it is. But <laughs> people think if I ask for it, then that's what I'm supposed to ask for. I need a therapist who does CBT. So we end up kind of fitting our way into what the clients want. So we're doing CBT, we're doing emotionally focused therapy. If we're doing couples, we're doing some Gottman work because that's what the clients want. And then the Jungian stuff falls to the wayside. So I was teaching at Penn State as an adjunct professor. I taught two courses. I was teaching abnormal psychology and I was teaching child development from in utero, brain development through age 12. That was my course. And in both of those classes, I was teaching about young. I taught everybody about Freud. I taught them about Jung and Eric Erickson and all the ways in which it impacted our way of thinking about the mind. And in each one of those classes, I taught about it differently because it was a different way of looking at it. One from like how we develop as children and the impact that trauma has in the mind when we do the child development stuff. And then in abnormal psychology, how trauma, when it builds up in the unconscious mind over time, can actually cause different types of psychosis and also physical ailments like autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. So I was teaching it every every semester, two times a week with both courses, times three units of each class. So it was like I was constantly spewing this out. I knew it inside and out, backwards to forwards, but I wasn't using it. And then I got cancer. That cancer diagnosis, um, I was 29 years old. It was the week of my 30th birthday. And my doctor just, I just went in for a normal test, um, pap smear, like something that everybody goes through as a woman. And she, like, she was like, everything looks great. See you next time. And then like three days later, I got a phone call and she's like, you got to come back. And I was like, oh, okay, is everything okay? And she said, I don't know. Like we had to figure that out. 
So I came back in and she didn't tell me what to expect, but they gave me some biopsies. And by some, I mean a lot, which is essentially hole punching through your body, which felt like the worst pain I'd ever experienced at that point. And I had no warning that it was coming and they don't give you anything for it. There's no medication to dull the pain. And when men go for biopsies, they get a ton of pain medication. (laughs) That's a whole nother thing. It was like the beginning of the trauma for me because from that point on, from that day, it was just one procedure after another, followed by surgery, followed by surgery, followed by surgery until I, I got that cancer diagnosis pretty early on. And then they just had to figure out how bad it was. And so all the surgeries are kind of exploratory and they just keep digging and digging. And for me, I think I blacked out for about three months. I don't remember them. I don't remember from my 30th birthday party, we went to Atlantic City and had a night of debauchery, which for me was a pajama party because I like really comfy clothing and slippers. (laughs) (laughs) And we had our pajama party there. And I just remember crying the whole day and like drinking myself into a stupor because I was terrified. And I don't remember anything again until it was all over, all said and done. And I'd been given that clear And at that point, I went on vacation with my family to Disney. And that's the first memories I have afterwards, or that was what it was like until I actually did my shadow work. I didn't remember anything. I didn't remember the surgeries. I didn't remember the feelings. I just, I like, I knew that I was depressed, but I don't remember, or I didn't remember before doing shadow work. I knew that wasn't normal. So with all this information that I had about trauma and how it impacts the body, and I was teaching it, and I knew it, and I was using it with my clients that I was seeing, because I had a private practice at the time, seeing about 30 clients a week. I knew it. It was so deeply ingrained. I was like, I need to start practicing what I preach. Mm -hmm. So I looked for someone who specialized in shadow work. I found a woman in the UK. I I did this thing. I've always been intuitive. I was like, I'm just going to kind of throw this up to the universe And whoever I find is going to be the one. I'm not going to question anything. I'm not going to question their credentials. I'm not (laughs) going to question. I'm just going to roll with it because I'm going to know it's right. So I just, I typed it in and I I did like a scroll with my eyes closed and then I pointed and it was a woman named Allison in the UK. She had no following. She didn't say anything about shadow work on her profile. It doesn't say shadow worker. And she just changed my life in an instant. She's the most powerful healer I've never met. She taught me everything I know. She actually was a former licensed therapist herself. So she Mm -hmm. understood all the same things as I did. And she taught me everything. And with her, I was able to go back and remember all the things that I had forgotten about during that blackout period. We went through and we re-experienced them. But what we did, which is what we do with shadow work, is we actually altered how they existed in my body. Mm. And so the things that I felt, the fear that I had, the pain, all of it, I was able to rework it in my body so that I wasn't carrying it anymore. So I wasn't holding on to that fear. And it was the best thing I ever did. I worked with her after that for a about a year and a half on like a weekly to biweekly basis, mostly weekly, unless somebody had something going on. <laughs> and it changed my life. And I'm so grateful for it. Unfortunately, she passed away a little less than two years ago now. But I, I think she was a guardian angel. I think she came in and she still helps me now even after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you went through this personally. And, you know, speaking like as a therapist, there's a lot of different things that I've done personally that, you know, I'm, I 
don't feel like this bolt of lightning where I'm like, oh my gosh, you know what? I need to like completely shift careers. I need to leave this whole therapy stuff in the dust and I am going to be the world champion for shadow work. I mean, where did that kind of start to come in for you? Where did you feel that pull to kind of completely essentially rewrite your whole life around this work? It was pretty immediate. I, it really did feel like a bolt of lightning. Like it all came together and it, it almost feels like a movie scene, right? Where it's like everything like fast forwards and rewind and like the universe and stars. And all of a sudden it was like- There's a boom. montage and we had yeah, epic music. That's, that's kind of how it felt. And it was clear as day. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it now. It was clear as day to me that this was it. And everything else was just like a stepping stone to get to that point. Like I don't regret becoming a therapist. I don't regret studying cognitive neuroscience. All those things help me. They're the foundation that sits underneath the work that I do. And it gives me an advantage when I'm working with people because I'm not just doing shadow work with them. I'm doing trauma work. I'm looking at them. I'm watching their body language. I'm seeing how they respond, those subtle cues. I understand what's going on neurologically and physiologically because of my background in science. So all that led me to here. It was a flash. I knew it in an instant. This was it. And when I knew that and I figured that out, then I just had to figure out how to let everything else go because mm. you know how it is. Like you kind of get on this hamster wheel of this is what you're supposed to do. And shadow work, according to everyone around me, was a hobby. It wasn't what I was supposed to do. This wasn't my calling. I studied to be a licensed therapist. I'd achieved oh, that. Yeah, you I had, had degrees. A, you had a license. Yeah. You, you had student practice. loan debt, I'm sure. Oh, student loan debt. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. And when you get to that point, like I'd finally, I right before cancer, I feel like I had this moment where I was like, I did it. I did everything I set out to do. I had that big bustling private practice in Center City. My office overlooked City Hall. It was gorgeous. Everything was perfect, except it wasn't. I wasn't happy. I didn't feel the way I wanted to feel helping people because I didn't think I was helping them all the way. I think I was helping them to a point, but we were never fully getting to that root. And shadow work is so satisfying. It's like, it's like Dr. Pipple Popper. It's like popping the <laughs> biggest zit where it's like, finally, we got to the root source of it and we cleared it out fully. It's gone. It's not coming back. And it's so good. And I remember, you know, hearing you speak at this last year's um, Selfish Philly conference. And one of the things that really struck me is the fact that you did not always identify as like a, a leader right? Like oh, you no. were not somebody who like everyone's like, oh, yep, there's Danielle. She's going to go out there and change the world. She's going to be like on the news. She's going to be writing a book. She's going to be speaking at her own conference. Like nobody would have looked at you and been like, yep, that's how this person's life's going to turn out. Yet you have done and are doing all of those things. And so I think that the question I want to ask you here is like, can you shift your identity? Can you shift how you show up in the world? And how do you go about doing it? Yeah, I honestly think that we're all leaders in different ways. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> we need to figure out what drives us. Because I think from what I've seen is when people really, they show up on like day one and they're like, I want to lead. There usually is a lot of ego behind it and narcissism mm -hmm. and feeling mm -hmm. entitled to certain things. And I've stood behind leaders like that in the past. And it felt kind of yucky. Whereas if you really set the intention for yourself to go, how do I feel? What makes me feel good? How do I heal myself? 
And what's the impact I want to have? Because then it's not about me when I start thinking about the impact. It's about how can I actually help people become the best version of themselves? How do I help them step into their leadership and become exactly who they want to be? First off, it's way more satisfying. And second off, I think other people feel that too. When it's not about you, it's about this like larger mission. Like I, I'm a, I'm a cog in a wheel, right? Pluck me off, put somebody else there. The mission can continue and it can keep growing and expanding and people's lives can change. And that's what feels good. We all have this inside of us. We all have this ability to lead. What is certain is that, let, let's go into the science before we even get into this, right? Ooh, On our science DNA, time with Danielle. I'm here for it. <laughs> science time. There's three types of temperaments that we are born with. On your DNA, you are one of three types. You're either easygoing, you're maybe a little bit uh, anxious as a baby, or you're sullen and sunk it in. And those three temperaments are the basis, but they are not your personality. We can have a baby that is very sullen and depressed as a baby that becomes the nicest, most outgoing, beautiful human being down the line because our personalities are not set in stone. Our personalities are a collection of our experiences that are seen through the lens of your temperament. And so your temperament is going to influence and dictate, but it's not going to determine how your personality forms, but your experiences do. So for me, the story that I told at Selfish Philly that my mom still loves to bring up (laughs) is about how my little sister is, she's just like that natural born extrovert. When we talk about temperament, she's the extroverted child. She was always happy and bubbly and people loved her when she was little and that never changed. She's still, she's a high school math teacher. People flock to her. In terms of leadership, when we were kids, she would be the one who would take the reins. She'd be the one who would speak for me. She's four years younger than me. And if we were going to order like fries at the beach club, we grew up in the Bronx. It was like a little beach club because nobody had access to pools or anything. Nobody had a yard. So we would go there and she would order for me. I'm three years old. I'm seven. I'm standing behind her, cowering behind her. I didn't want to talk. I was introverted. In drama club in high school, I was a dancer because I didn't want to speak. I didn't want anybody to hear me. I didn't want any part of it. I just had no interest. I wanted to fade into the background. I wanted to be a part of it, but I wanted to fade into the background. And that was that was it. I never cared about having an impact. I never felt like I was worthy of more than what I had. Mm. And it wasn't until I think I got sick and really had that experience that I had this moment of, it doesn't have to be about you. It's not like I'm doing this from a place of like standing at my soapbox to get accolades. For me, it's about the message and the message is powerful and it's that we can all heal ourselves, but we need to understand how. We need to learn how to do it, to know that we are worthy and capable and able to take this on. And that feels really good. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I think that, you know, through being able to dive into essentially like what has made us who we are, we really get to decide if that is in alignment with our truth or if it's not in alignment with our truth. And a lot of people have lived experiences or they are essentially given a narrative by their family of origin and they think, okay, like this is it. But that's really how everybody else saw the world for you or something that was placed upon you. It doesn't necessarily mean that that is like your truth or really resonates with who you are really meant to be in this lifetime. And I think we also forget that 
there is a lot of choice every single moment. Like we have choice, we have willpower, we have all of these things that people think like, oh yeah, like I, I have, that was my, you know, that's always going to be my favorite thing working as a therapist. Like I am an anxious person, right? And, and even just the reframe of like, I have anxiety or I'm currently experiencing anxiety, just being able to shift your perspective in that way can really help you to be able to decide like what what is actually part of me and what's not actually part of me. And I think that was one of the biggest takeaways for me when I did uh, shadow work was the fact that like I actually got to go in and really re-experience things, but through my own lens, not through the lens of what I was told about what it was like for me growing up or what it was told to me my experience was, I really got to go back and experience it firsthand. Um, so can you share a little bit about what your experience experiencing or re-experiencing things firsthand for yourself and how that helps you to kind of embrace your identity as a leader? Yeah. I don't even think I really fully realized this until I was teaching at Penn State because in that child development class, we talked about brain development and sort of how children's minds work. And until age seven, kids are really basing their entire self-worth on their connection to their primary caregiver. After age seven, when kids are around second grade, give or take a little bit, depending on school districts and all that kind of stuff, they start thinking about how the world perceives them. How do my friends perceive me? How does my teacher perceive me? And the words that are placed on us shift how we show up. So for me, every teacher that I ever had always had the same impression of me. I was very smart. I was always top of the class. I was always lazy. Because for me, I was bored. I was so bored. (laughs) I found it really easy. And I was the youngest in my grade by a long shot. I graduated with about 2,000 kids. And I was top of the class all the time. I put in no effort. I didn't have to do anything. I think I graduated like 27th in my class. And I think I skipped about 40 days. And that's not a joke. Like I used to bribe security guards to get out of school. I would bribe them to get back into school with Starbucks and with the local bagel shops, iced tea, because it it was like crack. People loved that stuff. (laughs) So I found ways. I always found loopholes. So every teacher I ever had from the time that I was young would always say the same thing. She's so smart, but she's so lazy. And that was the message that was drilled into my head. And then you couple that with how my family saw me, which in my big family, all the cousins are about the same age. And everybody called me Wednesday Adams because I had dark black hair and I just kind of like sunkenly, you know, <laughs> like slurped around the background. <laughs> I didn't smile in pictures. Like I wasn't bubbly like my little sister was or my cousin was a great older than me in the same school. Very popular cheerleader, beautiful blue eyes, blonde hair, like the perfect picture. And we look very similar. So when you see us, we're like, I'm like the black and white version. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like the depressed version. Swipe for the other filter. Like, oh, <laughs> I mean, we literally like swipe the filter and like, there we are. So they always gave me this idea in my head from when I was young that I was like a curmudgeon. Like I was just, I was a dark cloud over everybody. So I was a lazy, dark cloud that happened to be smart, but wasn't going to go anywhere because of that. And I carried that with me. I really embodied that personality. I think part of the reason why I skipped so many classes is because I was like, well, if they think that of me, why am I going to try? Why am I going to put effort in? What am I going to do with that? But 
what we do with shadow work is we go back to those early moments and we revisit them and we sit in the body and think about how it felt because all of our inner thoughts, that little voice that eats away at us all is an amalgamation of what everyone else has ever told us about ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's not what we think. It's what we've heard. Mm -hmm. And when we start to understand that, we can actually talk back to that voice. We can use it as a platform and leverage it instead of trying to fight it. Because I think so many people feel like they need to fight that little voice. Like, no, don't think that. Because they think they're thinking it. But it's just the ego. It's all the voices of those people who told you the worst things about yourselves. The ones who made you feel ashamed or unworthy. And you can be whatever the hell you want to be. You can shock everybody. Because I think everyone, everyone who knew me before the age of 20 is shocked. No one thought I'd be the person to be where I am now. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's so satisfying too. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, because I got to see your parents' faces at Selfish Philly when you like last minute had to be the keynote at your own conference. Can we talk about the fact that I literally (laughs) did not plan a word that I said? I just got on stage and was like, we're just gonna, we're doing this and we're gonna figure it it out. It was a great talk. I really enjoyed it. But I will have to say like what I enjoyed the most was like, I was like watching you and I was watching them and I was watching you and I was watching them. And you could tell that they're even still in integrating this version oh, of yeah. you like they're like they're there they're they're obviously they came they're supporting you they're showing up for you know for their daughter but I could just see like it was like this real time like you know it was like dial up internet you know back mm-hmm. in the day where like they're watching you but I could see the difficulty with the integration oh yeah um and they, for, obviously as a therapist I'm sitting there and I'm like this is interesting mm-hmm. I would love to talk to Danielle about this more and I was like mm, I'll have to have her on a podcast episode so seriously no that's, <laughs> that's real it happened last week last week I was on the news and it was a big long segment about me. And it was all about all the things that I'm doing. And I sent it to my parents because I was like, hey, like, just thought you should know. Like, I was on the news. <laughs> I was like, it's not a big deal, but like, whatever. And my dad didn't watch it. And my mom reluctantly eventually got around to watching it because I think they have a really hard time seeing this version of me. And just so everybody knows, I moved away when I was 17. I think I felt in my body that I was tired of being put into a box. And so I went from Long Island, New York to Philadelphia, where I knew I was far enough away that nobody was going to visit, but I could get home if I needed to. But I didn't really go home. I didn't spend a lot of time back in New York. I haven't since. And that distance gave me the ability to free myself from all that stuff that people put on me, all the impressions that they had of me the weight, the hesitations. And even I know I talked to you about this, Amber, before you moved to Texas, I said to you that space is going to give you a little bit of freedom. You're going to have the ability to do what you want in that space. And it might not be perfect. It might not be everything you thought it was, but you're going to have flexibility in it to craft who you want to be without the constant feelings of judgment of people's opinions floating over you or the version of you that once existed that they're clinging to because it's them that are clinging to it. You're not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, you know, obviously like working as, you know, your MFT, like that's my degree is marriage and family therapy. Like we, we talk a lot about family systems and we talk a lot about the narratives that exist in family systems. And we talk a lot about intergenerational trauma and how like basically it's copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. And a lot of that is because people are just operating on a default that they're not even aware that they're operating on because they lack the awareness to realize that this is just one version version of so many different options that you have in terms of how you get to show up in the world and how you get to show up in relationship to others, in relationship to yourself, in relationship to your profession, your environment. Um, And again, I think that going back to therapy work, like, yes, like one of my favorite parts of it is helping people to cultivate awareness, but like, then what, right? So now like, we know, we know what's going on, but then there's like that weird sticky thing that happens, you know, if if you're a therapist, it was that moment in graduate school where we had to do the project on our own families and you're like, shit, brutal. We are, we are really (laughs) dysfunctional. And then you have to like present it to the whole class, but it's okay because as long as you weren't the first person, enough people went ahead of you that you're like, oh, my family's not as bad as like those. People, I was the so first it. person. You were the first person. I was <laughs> we not. We did alphabetical. My oh, maiden no. name is Adonolfi. I was the first person. Uh, and it was brutal because you have yeah. to get up there and kind of like lay bare all of your deepest, darkest shadows. Yeah, I, remember, I had to like do my first like judogram and I was like, oh God, <laughs> this, this is what we're working. This is very colorful. Not the in a good way. Right after me. The girl who went right after me has, and, and she's still to this day, she was like, no, my life is actually pretty perfect. And my professor was like, then what are you doing in this profession? Like, why are you are you here? You don't realize that every therapist is a damaged, broken soul who's trying to fix others because they can't fix themselves. What, what's happening? It's true. it's true, and and this is also why, like, I feel shadow work is so important, especially especially for therapists. And even if you're not going to be a therapist who eventually becomes a shadow work practitioner, being able to do shadow work is it, literally, I think it should be required of all therapists to do because Game changing. we are holding space for other people and we're sitting there and it is next to impossible not to be triggered in some way, not to bring your own bias into it, right. not to be you know, doing something that maybe you think is well-intended, but it's actually coming from a place of ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way that we're actually able to sit there and truly in a very neutral and compassionate unconditional way hold space for our clients is if we've done enough of our own work that we can truly hold space in that way. Um, and that's I have like- a funny story about this. Oh, I love it. Okay. Sorry. And this is so true. So when I first became a therapist, I was, I had no business doing this. I was 23 years old. I just graduated. I actually set my private practice up so that I'd be ready to go on day one. Like I graduated on a Tuesday. My practice opened on a Wednesday. Oh, so your overachieving started early, I see. Yes, I've always been a Capricorn. <laughs> <laughs> it is no surprise to anyone. Once I got, and that happened from like getting away from my family because I was lazy, remember? But once mm-hmm. I was on my own, I could be myself. And I'm very overachiever-ish. I'm a, I'm a true Capricorn at heart and I could finally step into that in a way that felt comfortable. So I started setting up that private practice. I got an office in Center City, Philadelphia, which for anybody listening from far away is a really nice neighborhood. It's in the heart of the city. It's overlooking City Hall. 
And I wanted an office there because I knew that the clients who would come in in that location were going to feel comforted by the fact that it was a really prominent location. They would feel like I had my shit together and like I wasn't 23 because I was a, I was a child. So I opened this private practice. And I couldn't afford to furnish it. So I had uh, an old lawyer who left the office suite before me, had a broken bookcase, and I kept it. And then someone else had like put a desk out in the hallway that they weren't using. I took it. And I put that in there. And then I went to Ikea and I got myself a really big painting of um, like this beautiful area, Boathouse Row in Philadelphia. It was so cheap. And that was it. That was all I had. And a computer chair that was broken that I brought in and a couple of Ikea little brown leather chairs. It looked like shit, but it was there and it was mine. And I was really proud of it. And one of the first people to ever call me to book an appointment was an interior designer. And she came in and she took one look at the office and was like, this is disgusting. This, this is what you have. You're like this prominent therapist and this is what you put together. And she came and she sat on the chair to the left. And as she sat there, she just was looking around the entire time. And she was so offended by everything that I did. We ended up spending 50 minutes talking about how my office was trash and nothing about therapy because I I think I was just shut down. Years later, years, years, years later, I had a nicer office and I had a crazy client come in who ended up seeing me for about four years. And she came in and did the same thing. But she went and sat in my window because I had now a beautiful space overlooking City Hall. She actually stood on top of my couch and sat in the windowsill with her feet on my couch. She took her shoes off, thank God. And she did the same thing. But I'd done shadow work already. I'd already sat with this. And so the second she started going down that path, I knew she was hurt. She was traumatized. She was projecting out because if we were talking about me, we didn't have to talk about her. If we were talking about the office, we didn't have to talk about her pain and her sadness and the things that she came there to do. It was a perfect way to protect herself. So that first client if I had done shadow work beforehand, I would have known what to do in the moment. I could have used that, but I hadn't yet. I had all this therapy training. I had at that point, like 300 hours under my belt. So it wasn't like I was green. I knew enough, but shadow work made all the difference because my body was totally regulated the second time. The first time it was like fireworks going off. Every mm-hmm. worst thing I'd ever thought to myself was like in my ear screaming at me. I couldn't see her. I couldn't help her because I hadn't helped myself yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like even just, you know, protection from burnout is such a big piece of that as well. Because I know for me, operating, you know, as a coach and a therapist prior to doing shadow work, like, I was emotionally exhausted. It didn't matter if I saw three people or six people or nine people. It didn't matter. I was emotionally exhausted and I didn't have anything left for myself, my own relationships at the end of the day. And I, you know, remember thinking like, how the heck is this is any type of a sustainable career, which that's a whole other conversation for a whole other episode. <laughs> we'll have another podcast episode. Um, whole other podcast episode. We'll, we'll tackle that in uh, part four. Um, but after doing shadow work, I realized that I was able to like, kind of like hang out in this very comfortable, neutral space when I was with clients. Like it was like, I 
I felt connected to them, but not in a way that I was taking any of their stuff on. After the session was over, the connection was over and it didn't impact my ability to show up, to be really like dropped in with that client at that time. But I wasn't taking anything on because there was no ego involved. It wasn't like, okay, I got to prove myself or I have to help that like that was all that was all gone. And just being able to sit there and, you know, essentially have like active listening and hold space and just let somebody know that someone's listening to them. I was like, you know what? That's all they get out of this session. That is more than enough. That's more than they're probably going to get anywhere else. And, you know, that, that's it. That is, that is my only job. Anything above and beyond that is, you know, kind of like icing on top of the cake, but I wasn't bringing in any need to like prove anything to anybody. And I think whether you're a therapist, whether you're any other profession, whether you're, you know, a parent or a child, whatever it is, being able to let go of feeling you have to prove your worth through how you show up through your utility through you know convincing other people it's exhausting it, yeah. it really is exhausting and i feel like that's why like so many people are like man this this whole human thing it's it sucks really really bad but it doesn't have to be so hard it doesn't have to be yeah i think that's what sacred leadership for me is really all about is this idea that we can show up fully authentically and embodied without carrying the heavy of all these extra burdens that we think we have to. When we think about leaders, like look at the presidents of the United States for the past 50 years, the day they're sworn in versus the day that they leave, they look like they age 20 years. They're so tired. They're so tired. And I think it's more the emotional piece than anything else because all this pressure is on them but they're not integrated. They haven't done that shadow work. They haven't gone internal in the way that they need to, to have that kind of energetic hold over themselves. And so it just eats away at them. And we see how sick it makes them. You can just watch them dwindle over time. Like they're getting worn down physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually until they're like beaten up and they leave and it's over. And then they live out their time you know, wrestling with all the things that came up during those moments. It's hard. And I will tell you, the bigger I get, and it's going to sound like an ego thing. I hope it doesn't. The bigger I get um, with the best-selling books, with the appearances on the news, I get national coverage, the bigger those things get, the more pressure there is on me from external sources to show up in certain ways and to be certain ways. And it means that the shadow work that I've done is that much more important because it doesn't impact me the way that it impacts other people. Mm-hmm. I talk to other people with similar backgrounds. I've got um, a couple of friends who are like Philly area celebrities and some of them a little bit bigger than that, national celebrities, and they're exhausted and they're tired. And I keep whispering in their ear, shadow work, like, come on, get in there. Cause you're going to notice, you're going to feel a difference. You're not going to be triggered. People are going to come at you for anything. They come at you for anything and you just breathe. And you see through it and you go, they're in pain and they need to get this out of their bodies and they don't know how. And I can facilitate that if they want to, but they have to choose it. And it's not my responsibility to make them. All I can do is offer them an opportunity and a possibility for growth and they can take it or they can leave it, but it's mm-hmm. not mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it that is actually one of the things that I, I have to say, like I have, I've known you for three Three years now? Yeah. yeah, three years now. Um, and you know, you went from like me and little like baby potatoes to like now you're like your big potatoes. And uh I've I've <laughs> watched this this whole thing happen. And 
I kind of was holding my breath this whole time, right? Because to be completely honest, like I really, 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 I'm like, man, like I really like this Danielle lady. Like she is just, she's such, such a real person. I loved the programs. Like they were just so small and intimate and I felt really cared for and held. And I have been around the coaching industry now for also three years. And I have seen time and time and time again, people get traction, they get notoriety, they get, they're making, you know, six, seven, eight figures a month, whatever that is. And they, they change. change, they change. The ego takes over, it becomes about scaling and money and, you know, basically how they can remove themselves from the work that they're doing so right. that they're not actually taking a part in it. This is ridiculous. And it's I've, I've seen this over and over and over again firsthand. And I like was holding my breath this whole time where I was like, Danielle, please don't ever change. <laughs> don't change. I like literally would have written that in your yearbook and meant <laughs> it. Like, please don't change. Um, and like, you, you have it. Like, you, you really, really have yeah. it. Yes, what you've accomplished, you know, uh, amazing. But so even the fact, like, you know, for anyone listening, like, this is probably going to be the first episode of a very first podcast that, like, I have, I have like a tiny little following compared to Danielle. And she's like, You're doing a podcast. Of course, I'll support you. Of course, like, I'll come on. Um, and that's one of the reasons I have literally zero hesitation when I recommend people to you, people to your programs, why I'm investing in working with you as a mentor. And, you know, this isn't like, let's, you know, plug Danielle hour at all. But the reason for that is because I feel like you are a very beautiful example of the fact that you can, you can have a life beyond your wildest dreams. You can be extremely successful monetarily impact wise you can have notoriety you can have all of these things and still maintain your integrity right. it is absolutely possible but how can you do that right because i feel like a lot of people are afraid of stepping into leadership because they're like well oh my gosh who who am i going to become right. I don't what want to will become of me what people are going to reject me what they're they don't trust themselves enough to step into the leadership because they haven't done the work to know who they really are that's right. And even with a lot of shadow work, like I said earlier, I did shadow work weekly for about a year, year and a half. And it was biweekly sometimes, but for the most part, weekly. There's a lot of shadow work. I don't do that much shadow work with my clients usually because I feel like if we can get to the root of like eight to 15 of your biggest issues, we don't need to make it into something that's like very routine. I will say though, that I think that the reason why I'm able to stay so grounded and why I'm always going to be my weird self is because of all the shadow work. I think it it's so, it's really like the perfect reminder of who you are, because if you're constantly sitting in the past in some ways and remembering how it felt to be that version of you, the one who got bullied in middle school because your face looked horrible. I, I was had terrible acne. Uh, people call me pizza face. Um, a boy at the junior prom told me, oh, wow, you actually look like a girl today. Like, good for you. When you remember those moments, but you don't feel bad about them. And you're just kind of like, yeah, like, that's just part of my journey. And that's who I am. It really solidifies you on the ground. Like, you don't think like, oh, like, my shit doesn't stink. Like, you, you know who you are in your bones, in your body. And I think that makes the difference. And I can tell 
I can tell too. I have a lot of people who I'm friends with. I have some former clients who've blown up. I have people that I've worked with and I can tell the difference with the ones who've done the shadow work and the ones who haven't and the ones who continue to do it. The ones who come back to me and go, I just need little tune-ups. Like on my head starting to blow up, bring me back down to earth and ground me a little bit. Bring me back here because it's such a beautiful reminder of who we are at our core. And the more we integrate and embody, the less we're drifting out into space and thinking that we're incredible when really we're all human. There's no difference between you and the homeless guy on the street next to you. The only difference probably is that he didn't have the support system you had. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's nothing more than that. You can become homeless tomorrow. Everything you have can be gone in the blink of an eye. Your TikTok with 100,000 followers could get disabled tomorrow. And who are you then? Nobody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all just vanity. It's smoke and mirrors. And that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it is because yeah. it means that we all have this ability to step into leadership and we all have this ab- ability to say, fuck it. And I don't want to do anything. And you can choose however you want to. Mm-hmm. And when you come back again in the next lifetime, you get to choose again and again mm-hmm. and again. And we're all going to switch roles. And that's fucking awesome. Yeah. But I think, you know, the really cool thing about realizing that is like, you're here now. You might as well like rock it out, you know, with what you got like here and now. And I think, you know, just to give people some maybe like practical takeaways, because I know, you know, if I was sitting back listening to this and like, I was like, wow, that is a hefty little uh, intro that you got going on there, Danielle, <laughs> your you know, own stuff. You got a book. You're like, you know, a co- country's leading expert. Like, oh my gosh. Um, but you know, you, you started out as just like another burnout therapist who got a cancer diagnosis is where you started. And so if you could maybe give people like three takeaways in terms of like, all right, like I am where you were and I would love to be where you are now. What are some very practical steps that people could start taking today to get out of their own way? Yeah. Number one, is work with a shadow worker. It does not have to be me, please. There are so many wonderful shadow workers out there, but do your shadow work. And I know it's self-serving for me to say, but the reason is that you are going to be able to show up as the best version of yourself. You're going to feel good every single day. You're going to feel powerful in the leadership that you have when you've gone there. And there's not going to be a hesitation because now when I have crazy ideas, there's nothing holding me back. I don't worry about it. Whereas before I would have these moments where I'm like, I could do this. And then immediately my head goes, no, you can't, Mm. you know, you're lazy. You're not the person who's going to do that. No one really likes you. You got bullied. Like no one's going to show up for that. I don't have that voice anymore. When I think crazy things, now there's like a devil on my shoulder. That's like, do it. (laughs) Just do it. (laughs) It's going to be, everyone's going to come. And it makes it easier to step into that. So shadow work for anyone who really wants to be an embodied leader, you start there. And you have to start there. Number two is find the people who are already doing what you want to do and become friends with them. And don't think that you are too small to do that. I have people reach out to me all the time for advice. And if they really give a shit and if I can tell that they want it and like they are trying to make impact in their community, I'm not hesitating to give them answers. I'm not hesitating to tell them how to do it. And I used to do this as a therapist too any brand new therapist, even if they were opening their practice next door to me and potentially stealing all of my clients, if they had questions, I was answering them because I was them before. And I know how it feels to be starting and to be terrified and to not have the answers and feel like you need them. So ask, 
ask 100 people. You might get four answers, but it's four more than you would have gotten before that. So find mentors, find the people who are already doing it, ask them questions, get as much juice out of them as you can, because you're going to save yourself energetically in a lot of ways. And then number three is to have some really scary, wild dreams and write them down. Think things that are terrifying and don't put any limitations on it. Selfish Philly started for me as a dream of having a day where everybody just felt really good. I didn't have a thought around it. I didn't know how it was going to happen. I didn't know what the format was going to be. It started there. And before I knew the details, what I would do is I would close my eyes and I would just picture the audience and I would see a couple hundred people standing there staring at me and I knew like that's where we were going. So when I knew that end goal, I thought to myself, let's make it even bigger. And I just kept blowing it up in my head and over and over and over again. And I've watched as the years go on, this will be the fourth year I'm doing Selfish Philly. Every year, it's like hitting that next level vision that I had. I've already seen it. I saw it on day one. We're just going through it every time. So have really, really scary, big dreams and write them down so that you can watch yourself achieve them and start acting as if you're going for the biggest one and you're going to fall short and that's fine because when you fall short, you're going to hit the first one and then you're going to do it again and you're going to fall short and you're going to hit the second one. Then you're going to do it again. You're going to fall short. You're going to hit the third one. And I know you said three things, but can I add a fourth? Oh yeah, absolutely. Fail. Please do everything you can to fail. Make horrible decisions. Do the thing you're not supposed to do. Let your life fall to shambles because first off, it's going to make for a really good story for your book one day. And then second off, you become so resilient and gritty and emotionally able to hold on to so much more when you've really failed a lot of times. Everything I've ever touched has turned to shit before it turned to gold. And that's what's made it really good. Because when that happens and I push through that and I can kind of move out of what I call the pit of despair, when you're sitting there, woe is me, everything's awful, I spent all this money and like nobody showed, that's what gives you the energy to do it bigger. And it gives you the ability to really lean into what needs to happen and it's going to make you grow. If you get it too easy, you're going to lose it really fast too. Mm -hmm. Fail. And Mm -hmm. that's probably my number one piece of advice besides Mm -hmm. do your shadow work. Yeah, I actually, I I love that you added that as a fourth one um, because I remember when I was very, very, very sick um, in my 20s and I was bedridden and like, you know, the only thing I could really do was dream. I started listening to one of my favorite podcasts, which is The School of Greatness. And one of Lewis Howe's first interviews uh, was with Sarah Blakely, who is the owner and founder of Spanx. And I will never forget, she shared this story about how every night at the dinner table, when they would all come home from school, her and her siblings, her dad would ask them, what did you fail at today? And be really excited to hear what they tried and failed at that day. Normalizing failure, normalizing the trying and celebrating it. And I was like, whoa, like (laughs) what? (laughs) What a what a game changer. And like, you know, I was like, and now look at this lady. She's like literally a billionaire hanging out with uh, the Virgin Mobile guy. Like, you know, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I can't remember his name right now. But, um, but truly, like, I'm like, okay, like nothing special except for being in a family that celebrated 
celebrated failure, right? Like that, the expectation was that you would have tried something that you would have failed at that day. And I, I, that really kind of switched something for yeah, me. Yeah, that's many like years active ago. shadow work, right? Because I think shadow, so much of our shadow, and this is like we're kind of towards the end, but we have to say it. Shadow moments, the moments that you repress and you bury and you hide within your psyche, are usually tied to what we would consider a negative emotion: shame, guilt jealousy. These moments are tied with those emotions. And so what happens is we get triggered by something like a failure and we feel shame, guilt, and jealousy. And that perpetuates in our system and it reinforces it. If we celebrate failure, we're removing the ability for that shadow to ever take hold in the Mm -hmm. psyche and the body. It can't exist because I don't care if I fail. In fact, I'm celebrating it because it means it's a stepping stone along the way. I'm going to start doing that with my kids because that's brilliant. (laughs) I grew up in a very different scenario and I had to work really hard to work against it. And I think this generation of kids that are coming up with these parents who are so hyper aware of generational curses and trauma healing and all this stuff, man, these kids are in for an incredible life because Mm -hmm. they're going to have so many tools that we didn't have as kids and the kids that come after them even more so. Mm -hmm. So it's up to us. We're changing the narrative. We're shifting it and starts with that leadership that we have in whatever capacity we want to have it. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love that. So before I let you go, Danielle, I just want to help everybody know where they can find you, how they can connect with you, what you have going on. And for everything that Danielle mentioned, mentions, don't worry, we will be dropping links and all that good stuff in the show notes. But just so you can hear it straight from Danielle, what's what's cooking good looking? <laughs> okay, so let's start with how to find me. I'm everywhere on social media as I am Danielle Massey. You'll find me there for my website, my TikTok, my YouTube, my Pinterest, my Instagram. And you can always DM me with any questions that you have from this. The things that I have going on right now are that I have a holistic healing center called the Wellness Collective. At the Wellness Collective, you can do therapy, Reiki. You can get your Reiki certification. You can also get shadow work certification. You can do shadow work sessions and more coaching. You name it. We probably have it. And if we don't have it, we have an amazing referral for you for somebody else who does. We have Selfish Philly, which is my annual conference that happens every single year. This year, we moved it up a little bit earlier because we're partnering with the W Philadelphia, which was massive for us. And I moved it up because they have the most incredible pool I've ever seen in my life and I want to use it. So we're doing it in September so that you guys can come hang by the pool with me the day before Selfish and the day after Selfish. I'll be there all day relaxing and enjoying my whole life. I also have um, at the conference incredible speakers, uh, vendors from every walk of life, every type of feeling you can imagine. You're going to walk away feeling inspired and like you know who your resources are for anything that you might be going through. And honestly, everyone needs days like this. I mean, we need every day to be like this, but if we can get one every once in a while, it's definitely a step in the right direction for our health, our wellness, and our well-being. Then I've also got coaching uh, courses that you can take, like Create Your Light Academy, where you can do some mm-hmm. shadow work with me, the Shadow Queen. Uh, they run four times a year. So whenever you're listening to this, there will be another one that's opening up soon that you can hop into. And that is one of the programs that Amber graduated from, where we dive into the shadow every single week. And we're purposefully trying to remove the biggest blocks that you have that you feel amazing and embodied so you can step into that leadership in the way that you want to show up without any hesitation. 
conversation. And then beyond that, if you want to become a writer just like me, you can first off pick up my book from anywhere the books are sold, Amazon, Target, Walmart. It's everywhere. Every little crystal shop on the country seems to have it. I keep getting tagged in random posts from little bookshops all over. I got tagged in one from Canada today, which was cool. Awesome. And then uh, I actually have a course where I teach people how to become writers because I think part of leadership is reaching people in whatever way feels good for you, whether it's a podcast or as a coach or with your words, because those are immortal. They're going to exist forever. And when I became a published author with my publishing house, I realized that nobody teaches you anything. They think you just know. And I was working with some big time people. My agent is Dan Brown, like Da Vinci Code's agent. So I was in uh, ranks that I just, I, I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I could ask questions. And so I demystify the process in Writers Academy where I take you through every step of what you need to do to come up with a book idea, to write the proposal, to find an agent, to query the agent, to actually getting the book proposal purchased by a publishing house and getting that contract all the marketing that comes afterwards to make sure that people are hearing what you have to say. I'm a best-selling author, so I just make it really, really simple. And those are the general ways that you can start. On top of that, I'm always floating other things around. I love doing mentorships. I do a couple of those every quarter and different programs that I come up with whenever I feel like it because I just, I'm not lazy as I've learned through my shadow. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, I'm an overachiever and I really enjoy it. And doing this work is everything to me. And watching the women who come out of it, who are stepping into their roles as body mm-hmm. leaders, people mm-hmm. like Amber, it makes every moment of fear and anger and sadness, it just makes it all worth it. Oh, well, thank you so much, Danielle. That actually, that means so much to to hear you say that because I, I truly don't think that I would be here doing this, um, really feeling very aligned with my true calling and my true purpose if I hadn't done work with you. And I'm looking forward to doing more work with you. And I really appreciate that there is like zero gatekeeping when it comes to you. You're like, I did this thing. I'm going to show you how to do this thing. Do you want to learn how to do this thing? Here's a course. Here's a, you know, (laughs) here's a this, here's a DIY. And, you know, the really cool thing I think, you know, about Danielle is that first of all, like there's a, ton of free content on Instagram, on um, your like low cost subscription, you have Instagram subscriptions now, uh, TikTok. And then like, you're always like, you're like, you know what? Today, we're going to put Writers Academy on sale just because I feel like it. Because I feel like Um, it. (laughs) And I think that that's really beautiful because to me, that signals that you are putting these things out there because you genuinely want to help and uplift um, other people and you want, you know, more leaders alongside you um, in this life. And that is something I really, really honor and respect um, when it comes to you and why I'm so happy to be in connection with you. So I am just giving you all of the gratitude for taking time today to chat. This was so much fun. I've already like planned out four more episodes in my head with like other subtopics that I want to talk to you about. So we'll definitely be having Danielle back on the podcast for sure. And as Danielle said, if you have questions or anything like that that came up, please, please, please know that she is actually very accessible and she is the person in her DMs. People are always like messaging me like, I messaged that lady, Danielle, that you connected me to. <laughs> and she was actually the one that responded. I was like, yeah, right. I, know. I always do. That's another thing about leadership. You have to show up for your people. Please don't hire someone to do that for you. 
no, even if it takes you a little bit longer, be the person. And that's I was, that's not to say that you don't have support. I know that you have a team. I yes, know that I you do. have support. But when it comes to actual connection, like if people are reaching out to you, they are going mm-hmm. to get to respond to you. Um, so I think that that's something that's that's really important. So so many beautiful examples of leadership, Danielle. Thank you so much. And you know, if you want to see us in person, we'll both be at Selfish. Um, I went last year. I'll be there again this upcoming year. And if you would like me to have Danielle on again and you heard something in here that you would like us to dive into deeper, um, message me and let me know. So thanks, everyone. Bye.